fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he, Paul, was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the laws of our fathers, being zealous for God as of all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to de the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about at noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go to, into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. God bless the reading and hearing this word. Please be seated. Good morning, everybody. I like everybody kind of, so I don't have to like move my head. Um, if I were to ask you today, um, if I were to ask you today to come up and share your testimony, three, four minutes only, can you, one, one by one, come up and share your testimony in front of this group or audience, this crowd? How many of you can do it? Very nice, very good. I appreciate it. Not many people can, for many reasons, because they're afraid, they don't know what to say. They don't know what people will be feeling or saying about them or thinking about them, so many people wouldn't. So, um, I, I titled this the sermon uh, "Witness for the Lord," and then I realized that, this, like, um, I changed the title to be "My Story for My Lord," and I changed it to that. 
Um, and I'll tell you why in just a second. And one of the things that, um, that makes it difficult is just because it's scary to share your testimony, to share what God has done in your life, who you were in the past, how God has impacted your life and changed it all around, and now where, who you are now, and how God has made you change. So these are the things that are very simple to say, and you can think about in your mind and reflect upon it, but how do I share that with somebody else? How effective that will that be? So can you put it up? Oh, it's up that way. Can you put it up there too? Um, so one of the things that we were trying to talk about is who was who, who I was before Christ, who I am now because of Christ, and who I'm going to tell about Christ because Christ is in my life. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, but before I begin, uh, let's go to the word and go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, as uh, we learn from Paul and his life, how you've been there for him every step of the way before he was even formed, that you would put him in a situation, in a life, uh, and a purpose that only you know, and you predestined him to do so, and to fulfill his purpose in life. We pray, Father God, that you also give us a calling and a purpose in life, Lord, that you would allow us to do the same. Lord, when we hear your call, we would answer it with action. Lord, that we would not um, be afraid or be fearful. But Lord, we know that you are with us to the very end of the age. So help us, Lord, to share the gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, we pray, Father, that uh, um, as I speak today, may, uh, may people be, who listen be encouraged and grow. These are your words, Lord, not mine. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, the three point uh, three points of testimony. If you are in uh, any of the baptism classes, we know that this is how you write your testimony, and your testimony should be about three, four minutes, page long, um, and to actually use it. And not many of us, on a regular basis, use that testimony. That and when you say testimony, that's kind of church lingo for um, for your story. Um, and then we learn through the book through Paul and. And before we get to actually the passage that we're look, that Helena read in Acts 22, we kind of figure out what's going on. Why is he saying this, and who's he saying it to? We try to put it in context. So here is Saul. Uh, that is Saul is his Hebrew name, and he later becomes Paul, which is his his Roman name. We see him as a Pharisee, and we see him. Uh, can we put up Acts 21, please? And we see him this, he's speaking to a crowd, he's preaching to a crowd who actually wants to kill him. He's preaching the word, uh, his life, uh, to these people who really want to kill him at this point. And we're like, why is this one, why does these people want to kill him? And we see here in Acts 21, the, the passage before, in, uh, we see that this man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and the law and this place. So basically what he's saying is, uh, the, there's a person, people that came from Asia and heard this guy not knowing who he really is or what his purpose was. And they're telling, uh, they're slandering basically Paul. They're accusing him of something that he didn't do. He's saying that, oh, Paul is preaching against the Jews. Paul is preaching against uh, the law of Moses. And in fact, 
Paul is not preaching against the law of Moses, but actually about Jesus who fulfills the law of Moses. The second thing is that Paul is preaching to these Gentiles, and then when he's preaching to the Gentiles, they're bringing him into the temple, and that's a no-no, uh, that Jews are not allowed, uh, Gentiles are not allowed in the, in the temple, and then they're basically defiling the temple with these Gentiles. And so he's accusing of these two things, and that we realize that the temple is not just for the Jews, it's actually for everyone. So they're falsely accusing him of two things. And in verse 30, after they, they accuse him of these two things, the whole city, as, as we look in verse uh, 30, the whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all over directions, and they seized Paul, and they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops, and the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some of the officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd as they were beating up Paul. When rioters saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating upon him. And, and this is, I think, God's grace, God's mercy. And he comes and saves Paul from being killed. And so that brings us to the second chapter. And as, they, as the Roman guards are dragging him away, and, this, and Paul is half beaten at this point, uh, he takes the opportunity to stand where, uh, in front of the people, they're dragging him up this hill or up, up this, uh, to this fortress, uh, this, they call the barracks. He takes a moment and addresses the crowd. And it's weird that he says it this, this way when he addresses the crowd. He says, an affectionate way. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. I'm reading from the NIV, if you didn't know. So uh, we read earlier through the ASV, but now I'm reading through the NIV. I feel that for me, it's a little easier to read. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. And he's not really being charged with anything. They're just arresting him. The, the Romans actually are unaware of why this this crowd is rioting and wanting to kill uh, Paul at this time. So they don't really know. They just want to arrest him because he must have done something bad. So they're kind of clueless at this point. And they want to know why. And in verse 2, when they heard him speak to them in Aramaic or Hebrew, they became very quiet. They caught their attention. Then Paul starts saying to him, I am a Jew just like you guys. I'm a Jew like you guys. But I was born in Tarsus, and I'm a Roman citizen from Sicilia. But I was brought up, I was brought up down the street. I was, I was brought up literally across town. So I'm just like you guys. At least that's what he's trying to assure them. And so he kind of tells them about who he was. He's reflecting upon a time who he was. And then he says, I studied under Gabriel. And I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. And if you don't know who Gamaliel is, he's the teacher of teachers. There are all these teachers of the law, these rulers, the teachers of the law of the people in Jerusalem. And this Gamaliel is the most famous teacher of them all. He is the best of the best of the teachers concerning the law. He could be considered in terms of education that he'd be the Harvard, the Harvard class of his time. If you studied under him, you are 
some of the best and the brightest of students in the law. And so as he, and then he continues on, he says, I was just as zealous for God as any of you today. And what zealous means is that he was fully committed to God, fully committed to the point where we'd actually persecute people, drag them to prison, jail, and have them punished even to the point of death. That's how much zeal he had, how much he had a passion for God, even though it may not seem to be right but if these guys are sinful people, they deserve this. If they're going to go against my God, I am going to persecute them and run them out until they understand. He was very sincere. He loved God this much, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in verse 4, he says, I persecuted the followers of of this, his, um, sorry, I persecuted the followers of this way to their death. Now we have this way, and it's um, in John 14, 6. In John 14, 6, is referred to Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is how Jesus is referred to during this time. And so he's arresting both men and women, no discrimination, he's punishing them, no, no gallantry, no chivalry here. He's punishing men and women the same. And everybody can testify to that. Um, and then on his way, he was on his way to Damascus. He retained these letters telling them that he has to go to Damascus and to put them into prison and to punish them. Now you say, why Damascus? What's so special about Damascus? Um, in Damascus is a trading center. It is a place, it's a hub for international trades at the time. Uh, traders came in and out from all over the place, all of Asia, all of Middle East. People came into this place to trade. And when they, when they traded, and when they traded uh, a lot of not only goods was traded back and forth through these routes, but also ideas, customs, traditions as well. And so, what if Christianity were to be in Damascus? Then it'd be a prime network of people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and to send it out. And then the people, uh, the Jewish people of the time, especially the high priests who were think of losing their power, the, the Pharisees, we can't have any of this. Paul, you need to go over there, or uh, Saul, you need to go over there, and you need to stomp this out immediately before it goes any further. So he went to Damascus. So in verse six, it says, and about noon, as I, came, as I came near to Damascus, and I actually liked the ESV version of this particular part, as I was on my way. And when, I, when he says I was on my way, he, he actually was looking forward to it. He's not looking forward to the beatings, the hurtings, the killings. He's very zealous for God, but he was on his way that Okay, I'm going to do something for God, something good for God. I'm going to stomp out these Christians, these Jesus followers. But it was his way. He was bright. He was intelligent. He was very educated. He was doing it his own way when he wanted to. He had his power. Again, about, uh, about noon, when the sun is probably at its highest, he's, he was nearing Damascus, Suddenly, a bright light from heaven flashed around him. 
And this bright light is so it's not to be confused with any other light. So if there's the sun right here and this flashing light was here, you know that that's the sun. So it's not the sun, it's actually something else, something divine, something so bright that he was forced to the ground. Now, I've read some commentaries and saying, if you were, for example, if, if a bright light shined upon your face right now, you're standing there and a bright light shined in your face, would you fall down on the ground? Well, would you fall down on the ground? And no, most likely not. You would just kind of turn your eyes and you'd be really painful, but not hit the ground. So some commentaries say that he was probably on a, on a horse or a donkey or mule or something like that, and that turned the, the donkey over and he, was, and he hit the ground. But he was so overwhelmed with this bright light that he became blind. So in verse 7, he fell to the ground and he heard the voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? A voice from heaven. And then his response was kind of strange. He said, Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? He asked. And so he already identified, this must be God. I can no, no other explanation. Didn't give him any other name. But it must be God. This brightening light, this amazing event must be God. And then, to his shock, can you imagine? The voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth. His eyes are blind. Wait, Jesus of Nazareth? You're supposed to be dead. You died on the cross. You were buried. This is impossible. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Mind blown. Mind blown. He doesn't understand. He's been persecuting people who think that there's this Jesus who is resurrected and has come alive now is in heaven, and that same Jesus is talking to him. He's supposed to be dead. He's supposed to be buried. But now he's alive and he's speaking to him. My the companions in verse nine. My companions saw the light, so they're in shock. And the reason that he mentions this that it wasn't his imagination; like he just kind of had flashes or something like that, like mental issues or whatever. He had flashes, but no. Not only did he see it, but his companions saw it as well. And then not only did they they heard something as well; they heard the voice, but they couldn't understand. And and we try to we try to imagine that this is a one in one personal. Um, this is a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus. And that's how Jesus relates to us. When Jesus speaks to us and reveals himself to us, especially when we're, whether believers or non-believers, it's just one-on-one. -on -one. It's not like a corporate, we agree on, on Jesus. But when God speaks to us and he speaks to our heart, it's a one-on-one -on -one engagement. It's a one-on-one -on -one relationship. And these other guys are kind of around, but they cannot be saved by this encounter because it was about Paul. And God wanted to speak to Paul, just like God wants to speak to each and every one of us. And they couldn't understand. And in verse 10, what shall I do, Lord? He asked. Now he's kind of like, uh, I'm confused. Uh, my mind is blown. I don't, I don't know what to do. And he says, get up, to the Lord said, and go into Damascus, gave him instructions, gave him, gave him a destination. 
And there you'll be told uh, that, you've been, uh, that you've been assigned to do. And so being blind, his companions led him to, by the hand into Damascus because of the brilliance of the light had blinded him. And these companions are most likely uh, servants or helpers of his. Like you imagine this man who is the, the chief Pharisee of Pharisees being humbled to the point where he has to be so vulnerable that he has to be led by the hand into Damascus. Damascus. And going to Damascus, he's now going there because of Jesus. Jesus' way, Jesus' plan to go to Damascus versus his own plan. When he was going to Damascus originally, he had a plan to persecute believers of Jesus. And now Jesus, under Jesus' command to go into Damascus, he no longer is in control. And many of us struggle with that idea of being in control. Uh, symbolically, uh, like I said before, that he was either on a mule, a beast of burden, or a horse, or something like that. And he was on a high horse. And, and what, what God does in many ways, especially in our spiritual lives, where he knocks us, especially if we're too arrogant and too, feeling too superior about my capabilities and my understanding, my education, my gifts and talents, my looks, that when Jesus really speaks to us, he knocks you off of those high horses and puts you down to the ground as one commentary mentioned. Very humbling. And he was told to go into Damascus. And there he met a man named Ananias. In verse 12, the man named Ananias came to see me. Uh, God told, the, told Ananias. And all this is recorded in Acts uh, chapter 9, if you want to look at it in some, some more detail. And little did Paul know, and didn't know this until maybe later, is that Jesus visited Ananias himself and told him, hey, you need to, you need to go and um, tell uh, this guy named Paul or Saul at the time, Saul at the time, that he's going to be my champion. He's going to be my champion of the gospel to the Gentiles. And you can imagine this guy who's a, who's a faithful Jew and actually a believer uh, as well, a believer in Jesus Christ. He's like, no, Lord, I've heard about this guy. This guy's past is, is dark. He's a murderer. He's a persecutor. I, he really didn't want to. But when Jesus calls, he answers. And de- despite not wanting to go, he finds, he goes through the town and finds Paul praying in this room. And he tells him this, these things. <clears throat> a man named Ananias came to see me, and he was a devout observer of the law and highly respected of all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. A miracle. Both ways, I guess. Uh, a miracle to, to, to not be able to see and to be able to see thereafter. In verse 14, he said, then he said, the God of our ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and, J- and Jacob, the God of Israel, has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one, Jesus, to hear his words from his mouth. And in verse 15, it says this, and it's very important. You will, you will be, and this is talking to Saul, you will be my witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. 
you. And he's calling out Paul. He's, he's basically, Jesus is calling out through, uh, through Ananias, Saul, you are chosen. Saul, you will be my witness, my ambassador, the light of this world for, for, for the people, especially the Gentiles, to tell them what you have seen and heard. How many times have we heard Jesus call us? Maybe not in the same way, we, maybe not a blinding light. Maybe from an encouragement from a friend, maybe from a message that we've heard on a Sunday morning, a Sunday school lesson. When we read the Bible on our own, how many times have we been called? Called to what you say? Called to believe. Called to repent. Called to turn away from our wicked ways. Called to testify and reach the lost. That homeless people we just we see on the road that God calls us and sometimes tugs us on our hearts and says, hey, go help them. And you're like, I'm really busy. I don't have time. I know they need help, but I, I can't right now. When have we heard God's call and said, I can't or not right now? This is a sin, an act of a direct disobedience. And in verse 16, and now what are you waiting for? So there, you know, this is, this is from Ananias. What are you waiting for? And I think this is the same call. When I heard this and I read this out to myself, what am I waiting for? Why aren't you, basically, why aren't you doing it now? You've seen, you've heard, you know through the scripture what is asked of you. Why are we not acting upon it? is what he's asking about. So he's saying in verse 16, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. When we hear the call for, for maybe some of us non-believers, there are some non-believers maybe here. When you've seen Jesus interact with you, when you've heard the testimony of somebody else, maybe a co-worker, maybe a classmate. When you hear it, what should you do? You need to act upon it. You need to ask for forgiveness and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've gone to that point, he asks us to be baptized. Do we believe that baptism is a way of salvation? No, we don't believe that. It's actually a, a public display of our commitment to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you know what? It, sometimes people think, you know, I don't need a public display. I'm not that kind of person. But this is actually a way of accountability that I'm professing to all of you, and I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Hold me accountable for that. It's just that. The, really things, the, the real thing that saves is calling upon his name, calling upon the Lord. Lord God, wash my sins away. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my transgressions. Forgive me of being in control of my own life and wanting to do it my way and not the Lord's way. Forgive me of that. Sometimes it's interesting. Uh, we, uh, we hear testimonies from young people. It's very interesting. Uh, there's people who have dramatic transformations, like myself. I, I was going this way, and then God called me out of darkness and into the light, and I had to turn it 
180. And some people feel that, uh, that you know, I, I grew up at the church for so many years. I grew up, basically, I was in the womb, and I heard this all the time from some of you uh, young people or even the old people, that I grew up in the church. And so I can't, I can't really see the difference between what I was and what I'm not. There has to be, though. You have to see the difference. And if you don't see it, maybe you're not even different than you were before. But I need you, we need you to see how you are different. So, so when I ask those kids, um, many times because they're younger, I, I don't see uh, much of a change. And then I have to question, do you sin less? Do you try to sin less? Do you try to make a difference in your lifestyle than you had did before? Is there no change? Do you, do you try to be more helpful? Do you try to serve more? Do you confess your sins each and every day? Do you do your devotions? Do you do any of these things? You might not realize it, but you are changing, and you're, you're, you're changing from what you were once to what you are now. And we're always trying to be growing, growing in this direction versus sliding back. So I want to I challenge some of you, if you don't know that point of transformation, that point of saving grace, that understanding that now because of Jesus, I'm a different person, I'm, I'm a new creation, then you need to find that moment where you were once different than you were before. Um, so in verse 17, when I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying at the temple, he has already made his commitment. He already, at this point, he, before, this whole time beforehand, he was not a believer, and now he is. He accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, Savior, and now he's going to do something about it. He's praying for one, for one thing. He's praying and praying at the temple. I fell into a trance, and I saw the Lord speaking to me. And I heard this. Quick, he said. Leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Wait, what? I have to, I have to leave? I have to leave Jerusalem? This is my home. Instead of saying that, he left. Well, he had some questions. He's had some ideas first. This is my hometown. In verse 15, he says, oh, sorry, in verse 15, Acts 9. Uh, this is actually Ananias. Sorry, this slide should be before. But the Lord said to him, who is Ananias, go for he, this is the visitation to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument, just like you guys, just like me. He's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings of the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This is, Ananias, this is charge. God's charge through Ananias to Saul. Next slide, please. How much time? In verse 19, he said, Lord, I, I, I replied, these people know that what I've done, he's talking about his baggage that he's bringing in, that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. I did this. In, in chapter 9, he actually says, I wanted to murder them. I wanted to kill them. And this is his passion. This is what he really wanted to do. These idolaters, these people who are against the Jewish people, against the, the God of Jacob, Isaac of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
He was fuming. So this is what he was once. And in verse 20, when the blood of the martyr Stephen was shed, he stood there with approval. He stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And I think one of the things that God did for, for, for Paul, who saw one of, the, one of the graces, and it might be even so small, is that um, Paul didn't actually kill anybody physically. Because you imagine if he did, that he strangled or he cut or did something like that, and how much that would affect him. But still, he was filled with guilt. He was filled with this, this, this past. But God saved them from actually doing it, but just um, approving was, was just bad enough. And then this is something that he said in verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And thank God for that. Because down the line, I'm a Gentile. You are all, we're all Gentiles here. Right? Paul, this is a very uh, pointed time that because of this, Paul was able to go to, uh, to Rome. He was actually in prison. He was actually locked up, and he was in prison. And actually, uh, he, got a f- he, got a, he got a free ticket to go to Rome to share the gospel there as he was in prison. So, let's, can I have the next slide, please? So this is the question we have to ask ourselves. Can, can you put up the, the next slide after that? So here we have his testimony. These three parts. Who were you before Christ? And this is through his story. He was a persecutor of Christians. He has this, this, this very bloody past. Even though he didn't commit it himself, very bloody, bloody past. And of course he regrets it, knowing Jesus now. Who has Christ made you? He made him to a follower of Jesus Christ who changed his life dramatically. He was once a sinner and now forgiven. Now, now he's a co-inheritor of the kingdom, a servant of God. Where has he sent you? To the Gentiles, to the Rome. Now how does this apply to us? How does it apply to you? If you can reflect and remember, and this is really important when you're sharing Jesus with somebody else, especially in your workplace, especially in your homes, your family members. I know family members are super hard to evangelize to. Really hard. It's it's a weird, awkward feeling, and you don't know how they'll take it. You don't know what will happen to who Christ has made you. Who are you now? And where has Christ sent you? We believe that Missionaries are just not people who go overseas. Missionaries are people who are, again, in homes, in classrooms, in the workplace. God appointed you, called you. You could have left, you could have went left, you could have went right, your family could have went left or couldn't right, but you are exactly the place where God purposely put you for the sake of the gospel. And that's your call. And you say, oh, I don't know what, what, how God's calling me, Rick. I, I'm still praying about it. It's already in Scripture. In Romans 8.29, God calls us to obedience, to be, be obedient to his commands. In John 14, um, to make disciples of all, oh, sorry. Uh, in John 14, 
is to be more like Jesus. This idea of sanctification, to be more like Jesus. God calls us to be more like Jesus each and every day that we would know to know to know him, to love him, to be more like him, to be obedient to his commands. And then the second thing is the Great Commission. And we've, we've read the Great Commission many, many times to make disciples, to be confident in it because we have authority from heaven. And then we are not alone. When we go to the workplace, when we go to the places where God had purposed us to be, to not be afraid, to share your testimony, to share your story with them. And it's easy, easy as that. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus Christ, you have all that it takes to share with somebody the gospel of Jesus Christ, how it affected you. And no one can take that away from you. No one can say, uh-uh, nuh-uh. But this is your testimony. This is your eyewitness of Jesus Christ in your life. I have about like two minutes. I want to show you a little story. Uh, I went to I went to Taiwan and Japan with uh, Pastor David and with uh, Danny, and we went to Japan and we got to hear the story from the EFC of what their needs are in Japan. Then we went to Taiwan, and as we were going to dinner, uh, we, it was a meeting of these these head honchos of the denomination, these, these people who, who are committed to missions and how we're going to be missionaries in, in Taiwan, how we're going to plant churches, how we're going to send people over. And they were doing this brain, big brainstorm type of thing. And Pastor David and I and Danny were like, oh, what are we doing here? Uh, we were there to learn, of course, and we learned a lot. But there's all these guys who are making all these really big decisions at EFC, and we're like, oh, I'm kind of like an arrow, so just kind of tell me where to go, and I'll go. But these guys were planning and visioning and things like that, and I was kind of feeling, well, what, am I, what is my purpose here? Okay, got to learn, I guess. That's fine. And then as I was coming down to dinner, I saw somebody that I recognized, and I was kind of like, what is he doing here? It's my friend from Arizona. And, and we'll just call him Mike for now. That's not his real name, but I'll just call him Mike. Mike, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm with my dad. He's one of the, the pastors and, and things. But you know what? I'm not really here for any kind of missioning or any kind of Jesus type of thing. But I've known him to be a, a Christian for many years before. There's something in his life that, that changed. He was no longer a believer. He actually was against the church. Things happened in his life. Um, maybe things he read, books that had him slip. And so as we continued through the trip, uh, Pastor David and Danny and many other people were talking to him and kind of chipping away at, the, at this guy and saying, hey, what's your story? And he was very, he was very coveted. He was very, not coveted. He was very covered and didn't want to share. And then, and then I spoke to him. I spoke to him like for four hours in the middle of the night. And he was able to, and then I figured out that's why I was there. That God, through all the twists and turns, all the yes, I'll go or no, I'll stay, and all the different things that God could have put me, God put me in the exact place that I needed to be for someone else, to be that, that gospel reminder to him. He was going through troubles in his life. He was looking for answers. And I don't, I don't know if I was, but I gave him the gospel. I shared with him my struggles. I shared him, a, but through my struggles, how Jesus and the gospel message was able to, to help me through it 
to help me get out of it, to trust that God has a better plan for us, that the love of God covers all. And, uh, and that's how I got through, and that's how I shared with him. And I feel that that's why I was there, for that one purpose. The reason I'm saying this is that we all have, God calls us to be obedient. God calls us um, to be more like him, to, to be this living embodiment, this Christ incarnate on a daily basis, so that when the time is right, when the time that divine appointment happens, that we're able to share the things that we've been growing, the things how God has impacted my life to encourage a brother or sister. So where are you? How's God impacted your life? Are you being obedient to his call? Are you making those steps of courage and bravery, I guess, to do what's asked of you? to share Jesus, to make disciples of all the nations. Let's, let me close in prayer. Uh, Father God, we just, we are so humbled by you. We're so humbled by um, just our arrogance and our sinfulness. And we could see that because when we see you, we see how bad and wrong we've been and how we turn to idols constantly, materialism, fame, fortune, money, all these different things that turn us away. But we confess to you right now, Lord, that no matter how good we think we are, we are still nothing without you. We're still sinful, no matter how good we may think we are, but it's because of you, your son, Jesus Christ, and the death of us on the cross and the shedding of his blood are we made whole again, good again, righteous before you, so that we may approach your throne without having to turn away, without you turning us away, that because of his great sacrifice, we are able to come before you holy and clean. We ask now, Lord, that we all have a story. As Christians, we all have this story to tell. We have a story that has deeply impacted and changed our lives from one direction, going to hell and flipping it on its side and going in a different direction and it's going to you. How can we not share the gospel with our brothers and sisters? How can we not go to the four corners of the earth with the, great good, with the good news of Jesus Christ? Help us, Lord. If there is any fear in us, if there's any doubt in us, if there's any kind of um, inadequacies in us, Lord, that you would be more than adequate, that you are the person who does all the work. Help us to be obedient, Lord, to your calling again. Lord, thank you for this reminder for us. I know it's something that we've been talking about for a long time, but Lord, help us take those those steps to fulfilling your great commission, Lord. For you so loved the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.